<clears throat> Hello, my friends. <laughs> I just sounded like a prince. Hello, my love. You know, like the, uh, if, have you ever seen, uh, Into the Woods? It's like, agony. Okay, so. <laughs> Hello, my friends, and my friends of friends, and my enemies. How are you all doing today? I hope everyone is doing awesome. Uh, I know that here, right now, it is pretty gloomy in good old East Texas. Currently, I'm, I'm recording some Wednesday night, and currently it's like, I think it's like 46 outside right now. It's pretty gross. It's really cold, but you know what? It's okay. I'm thriving. I'm living. I'm already listening to, um, to, you know, Christmas stories. Christmas stories. I'm already listening to Christmas songs. I also am currently writing down the trigger warning for the podcast for today. So, okay. Huh. So yeah, it, it is currently super gloomy outside and I'm already listening to Christmas music. So, you know, I am doing magnificent but I am also very tired. I haven't actually had a super busy week this week. I've just been doing a lot really quickly. So I wasn't able to film last night because I actually had to finish like an essay and stuff, which was fine. I think I did really good. I'm, I'm a really talented writer. So <laughs> if you don't know this about me, I am a journalist and I, I really do love writing. My minor is actually creative writing as well. I'm just I'm a big fan of, of the written word, if you will. My my Medusa has been super weird lately whenever I talk too much, but it's okay. It's a little reminder that I just need to shut up sometimes. Ah, anyways, what's going on? How are you today? Oh man, that sounds crazy. How was your weekend? I just popped my knuckles. I'm, <laughs> I'm already out of it. I just started this episode and I'm already out of it. Who is messaging me? Okay, I'm gonna ignore that. So, <laughs> hello. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm just gonna go ahead and jump right into it. I mean, what I typically talk about before my... I don't really talk about anything for my episodes. Like, I don't have, like, anything written out. I really should. I should probably have some more direction on this show. But I like to be very uh, transparent and very vulnerable and very raw and real. Speaking of that, uh, I would actually like to take this moment and thank you all so much for the support and so much for the love that you guys have given me for this podcast. I actually spent, before I started this podcast, I started it at the end of August, early September, and I was so terrified that, like, everyone was going to hate it. It wasn't going to be good. Nobody would even think about listening to it. And it was just the worst idea ever. And I've just gotten so much love, so much support. And I'm just so happy with this little, like, you know, murder thing that I've got going on. And I'm just, oh, it's just so great. I just feel so awesome. This podcast really does, like, brighten up my week each time I get to sit here and just talk to y'all about nothing and everything and murders. <laughs> you know, the... The three, the three categories is nothing, everything, and murders. So there's nothing else. But I'm just, I'm really happy to be here, and I'm happy that you're here with me, and I cannot wait to see where this podcast goes. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, and you feel like talking to me, make sure you go and talk to me at Up at Night Cast. I actually have, thanks to a listener named Dakota, I actually have a really good story set up for next week. I was going to do it this week, but, like, I already had my script kind of, like, blueprinted whenever uh they messaged me but yeah i'm very excited so thank you dakota for then i don't i'm thanking you right now even though it's not till next week i'm gonna bring it up again don't worry you'll get thanks then too but make sure you come and follow me uh talk to me i'm not like 
I try to be as active as I can on the Twitter, but this is like just me. Like I film these, I do the research for these, I edit these episodes, I run the Twitter, like it's all me. It's just one person who's also, I work at the school newspaper, I also help run an organization, and I'm also a full-time student. So, I've been very stressed out with all of that, but hey, I'm going with it. So if you're ever like, man, I wish I was more active on Twitter, let me know and I'll work on it. Because, you know, you can only improve if you know what you need to improve on, am I right, dudes? Dudes and dudettes and non, non-binary bros? Is that? I feel like I can't say that. I feel like non-binary. I feel like bros in itself is gender neutral, but I could also just be ignorant. So I'm just gonna say dudes, dudettes, and barrettes, like not non-binary, like binary barrettes. Okay, I'm gonna move on. So anyways, today I actually have a very short little case that like I wanted to talk about the story for a while and I did not know how to work it in because I'm not kidding. This story is like, I have, oh god, I have 10 pages. Jesus fuck. So I have, um, typically a script for me is around 2,000 words. And this story, I don't even think the story's at 200. Okay, the story's at 245. But it's like, it's not long at all. So it's just very short and I wanted to mention it. But then I think that the second case, it's gonna be something that you've heard before. It's very, very long. So let's just go ahead and jump right into the fun, fun stuff. The trigger warnings for today's episode is just murder. Like, not really. I'm I'm stepping away from all the gruesome stuff for a bit, because, man, that Werewolf of Wisteria episode just really got to me for some reason. Uh, so this is the Liquid Matthew case. I got this information from HorrorHistory.net, which is my new favorite website in the entire world. So... On December 6th, 1983, a man's body was found dumped in an alley, and on a no-dumping sign, haha, there was a note taped that read, Once you're back on the track, you'll travel in night, so prepare yourself for a terrible fright. Now the motive is clear, and the victim is too. You've got all the answers, just follow the clues. Which is super crazy, and there was some clues scattered about. I couldn't find the exact clues, but apparently it was something about, like, a dock, or, like... Something like that. I, it's something about a dock. I remember hearing about it. It's Anyways, so <laughs> they followed that clue, and a detective was actually able to discover a second clue that was taped to the back of a speed limit sign that read, Yes, Matthew is dead, but his body not felt. Those brains were not Matt's because his body did melt. For Billy threw Matt in some hot boiling oil to confuse the police for the mystery they did toil. And the detectives were like, What? They were like, What does this mean? What's happening? Uh, and they were like freaking out about it and it was all in papers and stuff and it wasn't until some members of the church nearby came forward and explained that they had put this uh, little like whodunit style riddle game and had placed the clues all over town and put them in plastic bags so they wouldn't be ruined and during the night of the game there was a really bad rainstorm and so some of the clues were left in the original locations. Eventually, the police was able to identify the body as Francisco Patino Gutierrez, who was a seaman <laughs> that arrived in Miami two weeks prior on a Panamayan, Panamayan, yeah, cargo ship. And apparently, an informant told police that Gutierrez was killed because 11 pounds of cocaine that has been smuggled to Miami was confiscated. Yeah, and, like, that's that's the whole story. Like, see, it's, like, 
it's so short it's like almost not even worth mentioning I just I don't know I thought it was really really funny and that's why you know the detectives of confusion today's episode is kind of having to do with like detectives and clues so on that logic do you know who the zodiac killer is yeah that's who we're talking about next (laughs) so I, i really i was not planning on talking about the zodiac killer so soon i was like gonna save that for like a later episode and it's also like super unsolved and you know i don't really like talking about unsolved crimes all that much but it fits with my theme for today and i was like let's just do it so in july of 1969 a letter arrived at the san francisco entertainment newspaper containing chilling words in a decoded message the sender the soon-to-be notorious zodiac a serial killer who terrorized terrorized a serial killer who terrorized northern california in the late 1960s and early 1970s with a combination of grisly murders and bizarre public letters brimming with horrific frets horrific frets horrific threats demented demands and mysterious ciphers teasing his identity and we start out this case in santa barbara let's go baby so robert domingos and his fiance linda edwards were seniors at lompkin lompoc i'm so bad at pronouncing stuff lompoc high school in santa barbara county in southern california on tuesday in early june 1963 the couple decided to use the senior ditch day to go sunbathing on a beach near Gavotina Gavotia state park i cannot pronounce places and i think we all just need to be okay with that when the teenagers didn't return home by Wednesday, Robert's father went to the beach and actually sadly discovered their bodies lying together inside of in the remains of a crumbled shack. I just hit my microphone with my face. Sick. The victims, bound in rope, had apparently tried to escape but were shot and killed with a .22 caliber weapon, which I do not know what that means. Uh, Robert was shot 11 times and Linda had been shot 9 times. The killer then dragged the bodies to the shack where he tied and failed to start a fire. Investigators had few leads, but in 1972, the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department announced a possible Zodiac connection. The beach killer used Winchester's Western Supreme X ammunition, the same ammunition used by the Zodiac in the 1960s murders on Lake Herman Road, uh, which I will probably talk about later. <laughs> and the Domingos and Edward case had a similar similarities to the Zodiac's attack of another young couple at Lake Berry Sessa in 1963. And I will be mentioning all of these later. It's just, you know, I'm just bringing it up right now because it's in the notes. Anyways, so, <laughs> oh, I'm everywhere. Uh, so, um, I'm also, this is a possible Zodiac, or it could be a copycat. I personally believe that it was a copycat, somebody trying to peg this murder on the Zodiac. But we will have to, you know, message me. Let me know what you think. But here is the story of the Riverside connection to the Zodiac, which is 18-year-old Sherry Joseph Bates, who lived with her father, Joseph, and was a student at Riverside City College in California. On October 30th, 1966, she left a note that read, Dad went to the RCC library. The next morning, her beetle was found abandoned in the library parking lot, and her body was lying nearby between two houses. She had been stabbed several times, and her throat was slashed. Police found a man's... A man's... Police found a man's Timex watch at the criminal scene. The criminal scene? Oh, man. I cannot speak. Police found a men's Time X watch at the crime scene, a print from a military boot, and some hairs and dried blood on the victim's hand. 
uh, Sherry Joe's purse was intact, and an autopsy revealed there was no evidence of sexual assault. One month after the murder, the local newspaper and the police department received typewritten, typewritten, typewritten letters titled The Confession from someone cl who claimed to be the killer. The author wrote, Miss Bates was stupid. She went to the slaughter like a lamb and added, I am not sick. I am insane. In April 1967, the newspaper, the police, and Joseph Bates received virtually identical handwritten letters which read, Bates had to die. There will be more. The notes were signed with a symbol which resembled the letter Z. In 1969, Riverside Police contacted investigators in Northern California regarding the similarities between the Zodiac crimes and the murder of Bates. Um and there was a slight connection uh and it was later revealed but to the public that a reporter <laughs> it was later revealed that the zodiac killer had sent a letter to the los angeles times indicating that the killer confirmed the theory that he had killed bates um in a letter that wrote i had to give them credit for stumbling across my riverside activity but they are only finding the easy ones there are a hell of a lot more down there and years later, Riverside Police rejected the Zodiac. And years later, Riverside Police rejected the Zodiac theory and focused on a man who they said was a jilted former lover of Bates. Um, they, of course, took some DNA from the suspect, and the DNA did not match, and the suspect denied any involvement with the murder. Now, when I confirmed, I'm only bouncing between confirmed and unconfirmed. Sorry, this is just the way it's written up. I'm doing it um, chronologically. Uh, so, this has happened in Bonisa, California. Five nights before Christmas, high school students Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday set out on their first official date together, promising Betty Lou's parents they'd be home by 11 p.m. Shortly after that time, passing motorists saw the Rambler and its occupants parked at a Lover's Lane spot along Lake Herman Road in Benicia, Benicia, California. It's... Ah. Places are confusing for me to pronounce. I live in Texas. I don't have to pronounce anything. We have a place here called Paris. Nothing's hard here for me. Um, so the police came and others responded to the scene and discovered Betty Lou was dead with five bullet wounds in her back. David was found next to the Rambler with a bullet wound in his head, still breathing but near death. Bullet holes in the car's roof and back window indicated that the killer may have fired warning shots to force the victims out of the vehicle. Uh, shell casings recovered at the crime scene identified ammunition as the Winchester Western Supreme X, copper-coated, um, and it indicated that he also used a .22 caliber. And it says po <laughs> it's possibly a J.C. Higgins Model 80 semi-automatic pistol. I have no idea who that what that means. I'm so sorry. I don't do guns. I don't like guns but that's that. Anyways, so um, now we're in Valleho, Valleho, Valleho. 22-year-old Darlene Farron was a wife, mother, and a popular waitress at a Valleho restaurant. On the night of July 4th, she picked up friend Michael McGow and stopped her Corivar, Corivar, in the parking lot of Blue Rock Springs Park. Michael later told police that another vehicle pulled into the lot around midnight and then left only to return minutes later. The driver got out of the car, shined a bright light, and fired into the Corvar with a 9mm handgun. Uh, Michael was shot in the jaw, shoulders, and leg. Darlene was hit several times. At 12.40 p.m., in a call traced to a gas station payphone, a man rang the Valaho Police Department and claimed responsibility for the shootings as well as the murders on Lake Herman Road. 
According to the police dispatcher, the caller spoke in a low, monotonous voice saying, I want to report a murder. If you will go one mile east on Columbus Parkway, you will find kids in a brown car. They were shot with a nine millimeter lugger. Lugger? I also killed those kids last year. Goodbye. And Darlene did pass, but Michael survived. And they were unable to identify any viable suspects. Now we get into the letters. Um, he sent a letter to the Vallejo Times, and um, I can't, like, quote them that well because I can't really read them, but luckily they were able to be transcribed and people were able to kind of, you know. So the first letter he ever sent uh, was to the Vallejo Times Herald, and he claimed responsibility for the two sh shootings and provided details about the victims, the weapons, and the number of shots fired and the brand of ammunition, which were not released to the public. So the killer would be the only one to know that. The second letter was sent to the San Francisco Chronicle, um, and he sent three identical, this was one of the three identical letters um, accompanied by one-third of a cipher, and the writer demanded publication of the letters and ciphers by Friday, August 1st. To the San Francisco Examiner, he, the writer threatened to kill again if the newspapers did not publish, publish the cipher, which included the words, I like killing people because it's so much fun. Then there was a three-page letter received by the examiner on August 4th, 1969, which sent in response to police asking for information to prove the writer actually committed the murders, and this was the first time he used the name the Zodiac. Man, Ted Cruz really got around them. I had to make one joke. I had to make one reference to Ted Cruz being the Zodiac killer, okay? I'm sorry. I had to. <laughs> so on a Saturday in late September, college students... Uh, Brian Hart Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were relaxing along the shore of Lake Baronessa, uh, some 30 miles north of Napa, Cal California. I don't know. I'm studying. Yeah. I'm all tongue-tied today. Uh, a man appeared holding a gun and a weapon and, uh, and a hooded costume with a white cross circle stitched over the chest. Explained that he had escaped the prison and needed money and a car to escape to Mexico. The stranger bound their wrists with pre-cut lengths of plastic clothesline, and he plunged a large knife into Brian's back six times. He then stabbed Cecilia ten times as she fought for her life. Um, the man then walked to Brian's car and used a pen to draw a cross circle on the door with the dates and locations of the previous attacks. So it was, um, the date was September... He wrote September 27, 69. The time, 6.30. The notion, by knife, at 4, at 7.40 p.m., a man called the Napa Police Department to report a double murder. And, of course, he described the car, and he confessed that he was the one that did it. Uh, police traced the call to a payphone, and Cecilia did die two days later, but Brian survived the attack. His fifth letter was written on a passenger door. This was the letter that was on the passenger door. Um, include the dates of the two shootings and then, 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 Anyways. Okay, so uh, San Francisco, Paul Stein, a 28-year-old student and husband, worked as a cab driver in San Francisco. That night, Stein picked up a fare headed for a destination in the upscale Presidio Heights neighborhood. At the, at the intersection of Washington and Cherry Street, the passenger shot Stein in the head and removed a piece of the victim's shirt. The man walked away just before police arrived, but the police radio broadcast mistakenly described the suspect as a black man because, you know, 
and passing officers dismissed a white man resembling the correct description. So, you know, that's cool. Uh, fingerprints found on the driver's side of the car may have belonged to the killer, and a sketch was produced based on the descriptions provided by witnesses. Um, at this time, the San Francisco Chronicle received an envelope with a letter from the Zodiac, and it began with, I am the murderer of the taxi driver. The envelope also contained a bloodstained piece of Paul Stein's shirt. The Zodiac denied he left fingerprints and claimed the police sketch was inaccurate because he had worn a disguise. And then his seventh letter was an envelope to the Chronicle and it contained another piece of the cab driver's shirt, a humorous greeting card, and another cipher consisting of 340 symbols. The writer added December, July, August, September, October equals seven, a possible reference to more unidentified victims. His eighth thing to send was a seven-page letter to the Chronicle, postmarked November 9th, 1969. The longest message from the Zodiac claimed the police stopped him near a crime scene, but had let him go. Zodiac also included a bomb recipe and a diagram of the explosive, which I do not know the motive for. Like, nothing about that makes any sense. Um, his ninth letter was a letter addressed to the famous attorney Melvin Bell, the writer fear feared he would kill again and asked Belly to intercede. The letter began, please help me, I cannot remain in control much longer. Now, a possible Zodiac killer is in the Modesto area. On a Sunday in late March, 22-year-old Kathleen Johns packed her infant daughter into a station wagon and left to visit her sick mother in Petaluma. Uh, and Kathleen was also seven months pregnant and the child of her longtime boyfriend. As uh, she traveled on Highway 132 near Modesto, another vehicle pulled alongside the station wagon and the driver appeared to signal that Kathleen should pull over. On the side of the road, the driver explained that the back wheel of Kathleen's station wagon was loose, but he did promise to fix the problem. Instead, he loosened the lug nuts and the wheel fell off as Kathleen tried to drive away. The man then offered to drive Kathleen to the gas station, but whenever she got into a car, uh, it, he did have other, pl other plans. She claimed he made a veil threats to harm her children, and eventually Kathleen grabbed her daughter and jumped from the car, which is awesome. You should always try and, like, you know, like, that's just awesome. She basically saved her and her baby's life, and probably her other child. I don't know. Jumping from her car is pretty hard. But uh, a passing driver took Kathleen to the police station where she identified the stranger from a police sketch of the Zodiac. And months later, he mentioned a rather interesting ride with a woman and her baby. So if this was not the Zodiac Killer, she's still awesome for jumping out of a car. Like, that's amazing. She saved her life and her child, and it's just, wow, everything about that's awesome. And if it was a Zodiac Killer, then holy shit, she is so lucky. That's, oh, everything about, sorry, I get really excited whenever, like, victims or possible victims, like, get away. It's almost like I'm happy for them. Something like that. So the 10th letter that the Zodiac sent was to the Chronicle, and it included a 13-symbol cipher and a diagram of a bomb designed to kill children on a school bus. The Zodiac denied responsibility for a recent police station bombing that had killed an officer. The 11th letter was postmarked April 28, 1970, and was sent to the Chronicle again, and inside the, it was like a greeting card type of thing, and inside the card, the Zodiac demanded publication of his bomb threats and insisted that the people of the San Francisco Bay Area wear Zodiac buttons featuring his little cross circle, which was kind of like his calling card at this point. 
His 12th letter was uh, sent to the Chronicle, sent on June 26, 1970, and it contained a map of San Francisco Bay Area with a cross circle on the peak of Mount Diablo and a code to locate Zodiac's bomb. The writer claimed that he did kill again. To the Chronicle again, which is just his best friend, I guess, uh, postmarked July 24th, 1970, the Zodiac complained that people weren't wearing his cross-circled Zodiac buttons, and he claimed that he was responsible for the failed abduction of pregnant mother Kathleen Johns in March. That happened in March. Yeah, so. Now he sent a five-page letter to the Chronicle, which was postmarked for July 26, 1970, and the Zodiac described torturing his victims and quoted from the Gilbert and Sullivan musical The Mikado, The letter also explained that the Mount Diablo Code concerned geometric angles known as radians, which, you know, if you know anything about that, let me know. I'm not smart. I'm I'm just, I'm a writer. I don't know anything else. The next possible Zodiac attack was in Lake Tahoe. A postcard attributed to the Zodiac featured an advertisement for a condominium project in Lake Tahoe and the phrase, past Lake Tahoe areas and sought victim 12. Some interpreted the cryptic message as a clue to the disappearance of 25-year-old Donna Lass, who was last seen on September 6, 1970. Uh, she vanished sometime after the last entry in her work logbook at 1.50 a.m. It's possible that she was found. So uh, that was sent October 5, 1970. That was his fifth thing to send. Um, and it also had a message constructed with text clippings from other sources. The words, the pace isn't any slower. In fact, it's just a bit one big where clippings from the comet strip smidgens. So it just cut off and in fact, it's one big. So 16th card was a Halloween card sent to the Chronicle reporter, Paul Avery, and was postmarked October 27th, 1970. The writer misspelled Avery's name as Averly and the number 14 wrote as four and then slash teen uh, was interpreted as a possible reference to an unidentified 14th victim. His seventh letter to send was to the Los Angeles Times on March 13th, 1971. In it, Zodiac suggested he was responsible for the unsolved murder of Cherry Joe Bates. The 18th thing that he sent was a postcard again to the reporter Paul Avery at the Chronicle it was March 22nd, 1971, and he misspelled Avery's name again as Averly and has the phrase sought victim 12, and it was interpreted as a reference to the Don Lass in its disappearance in Lake Tahoe. Okay, now we're back to things that he definitely did. This is the last official sighting. So, um, this has happened in Albany. The search for new leads in the Zodiac case led investigators across the United States to Albany, New York. The office of the Albany Times Union newspaper received an envelope postmarked August 1st, 1973, with a cross circle drawn in the corner instead of a return address. The letter read, You are wrong. I'm not dead or in the hospital. I'm alive and well, and I'm going to start killing again. Below is the name and location of my next victim, but you better hurry because I'm going to kill her August 10th at 5 p.m. when the shift change. Albany is a nice town. Below the message, the writer included three rows of symbols. According to an FBI report, Bureau Cryptanalysis deciphered the coded message to read, Redacted, Albany Medical Center. This is only the beginning. Investigators were unable to identify any murders that could explain the vague reference to a victim on August 10th, and handwriting experts could not determine if the new letter was 
prepared by the writer of the Zodiac letters due to the lack of significant characteristics in the Albany message, but this possibly could not be eliminated based on the limited analysis. Now, the last section of letters. The 19th letter that he sent was to the Chronicle, postmarked January 29th, 1974. The writer alluded to a possible suicide in another quote from the Gilbert and Sullivan musical, The Macchiato, uh, the notion me 37 sfpd 0 was interpreted as a box score indicating 37 victims. The 20th thing to send was a postcard to the Chronicle, postmarked February 14th, 1974. The writer referred to the SLA, which was the Symbonese Liberation Army, a group of militant urban guerrillas responding to the abduction of newspaper heist Patty Harrison, and the message was signed, A Friend. The 21st was a card to the Chronicle postmarked May 8th, 1974, and the message from a citizen complained about the glorification of violence in newspaper ads for the movie The Badlands about the killing spree of Richard Starkweather and his 14-year-old girlfriend. And the last letter to get was, the 22nd letter was to the Chronicle postmarked July 8th, 1974, the writer complained that the Chronicle columnist Count Marco Spinelli suffered from a serious psychological disorder and should be sent back in the hellhole. The letter was signed, The Red Phantom. And that is a story of everything that the Zodiac Killer did. Which, like, I know it's, like, hard. It's really hard for me to, like, go into detail with stuff like this because there's literally, like, nothing else. Like, all I can talk about is the murders and the time frame that it happened in. Like, that's just fucking it. I don't have any leads for this. Of course, we all know Ted Cruz did it, but, like, there's no leads. It's so elusive. Like, it really could be anyone. I once heard a theory that it was, oh, what was it called? There was another murder that they possibly linked to it. They recently captured, I think it was the Golden State Killer, but I think it was proved false. Or at least he denied it, but I don't trust murderers, so like, ooh, ooh, don't really know. But yeah, that's the story. It's super long, and it's crazy. It's just, it's so weird thinking about how, like, people like these exist. Because the Zodiac's ideal was not to just kill people. He wanted to, like, scare people. He wanted people to be afraid. And of course, like, that was his MO the entire time. That's why he sent all those letters. That's why he threaten people so much that's why he did all the bomb things like he wanted people to be afraid for their lives and it worked he got what he wanted but at the end of the day we may never actually know who he is unless we're able to decipher everything we're able to figure everything out we're able to find some sort of clues because i i think that it might be two people but i'm really not that sure but so yeah that's zodiac killer it's crazy i don't really have like a big spiel I just think that's really interesting, like, the sending the notes, sending, like, taunting the police. That just, it's so cocky. I feel like there has to be something more there. Um, he said that he wasn't sick. He was just crazy. But I never believe that. <laughs> like, you don't, you're not just born crazy. Like, you have to have something happen to you. And I don't know. I feel like it's happened. There's definitely someone out there that's like, oh, yeah, that's my granddad. But I'm not going to say anything about it, which is shitty. Like, if you think it's your granddad, then, you know be like, hey, it's my granddad. Like, 
even if he doesn't go to jail, even if he doesn't get the death penalty, like, he still needs to face his crimes. And he's, he's I want to know, like, I mean, that's why I like true crime so much. I'm so nosy. Like, I want to know the meaning behind things. I think, I think the reason I don't like to talk about unsolved crimes is because with solved crimes, you can kind of understand, like, a motive. Like, sometimes it's for love. Sometimes it's for entertainment. Sometimes it's for revenge. But, like, with things like this, you never really know why he did all this. And that's the most terrifying aspect of it. And I think that's why, that, I think that's why it keeps me up at night, honestly. But I'm done. So, yeah, that's Zodiac Killer. This is a really long episode. I'm so sorry. There's just, there's a lot of information there to unpack, honestly, just because there's so much to the Zodiac Killer and there's so much to the murders and there's so much to the letters. And I did not want to gloss over anything. But yeah, that's Zodiac Killer. And now for my one good thing. Um, oh, actually, I'm really excited. So there's like a 95% chance I'm moving into a house next semester. And whenever I say I'm so excited, like you do not understand how excited I am. Like I just, I want to move into a new house. I can make friends. My my roommate's super cool. There's going to be a third one. So there's like three of us there. So I met the one of them and she's super chill. She's super nice. I haven't met the other one yet, but I'm hoping she's cool too. But I'm just really excited because like, I don't know, I'm ready for this new chapter in my life where I start to be a little bit more of an adult because I'm turning 21 in like next month. So I'd like need to start getting my shit together because right now I live in a dorm and like it's fine if you're above the age of like 21 and live in a dorm nothing's wrong with that I just I'm really excited for this change of pace I've lived in a dorm for three years now and I'm over it so I'm pumped for that uh but yeah I guess that's really it that's all I have to talk about but I am like I don't know I do feel like I kind of been going through some stuff lately like not even like serious like like, oh, my life's falling apart. I have this tragedy going on. Like, it could just be the weather. It could be emotional things. Could be chemicals. But I'm just, like, I'm really out of it lately. Like, I'm just, I'm really tired all the time. I don't really want to do anything. I even have to sometimes force myself to this podcast. And, like, of course, it's fun. I like to get in here and talk and vent and stuff. But sometimes it's just really hard to even do that. Because I'm just so tired all the time. I haven't gotten to take a nap today, and I'm a baby, and I have to take a nap, but I don't know. I'm just kind of excited to be done with this semester. I'm very stressed out, but I'm making it through. I'm pumped. I'm happy. I'm here. I'm going to get through this semester, and I'm going to kick ass, and that's on God, <laughs> but I guess that's kind of it. Like, I don't really have anything else to talk about. I feel so bad. Typically, I can, like, sit in here and talk forever, but, like, I don't know. I guess that's kind of it for today, so... Thank you for listening to me. Oh, I like to reiterate that. Thank you so much for listening to me. If you listen to this podcast, you have my heart. I love you so much. Message me if you ever need any advice. Like, I'm here for you. Boo-boo. I got you. Always down to talk about murders and theories. And even if you just want to, like, message me and talk about your fucking day, let's do it, man. I'm always down to just, like, hang out. I am... It is hard for me to be on Twitter all the time since I am so busy. As a full-time student, I work. I run an organization. I do this. So if I'm not responsive all the time, I'm sorry. I do try to be, but I'm very thankful for the people that do listen to me. And it's, it just means a lot. And you guys mean a lot to me. And I thank you so much for letting me do what I like to do, which is talk about murders, which is totally normal. 
Okay, I'm gonna go. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, follow the podcast Twitter. It's up at night cast. And I cannot wait to talk to you the next time I can't sleep. Bye, guys.